So it seems like there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who Instagram live every second of their quarantine routine and those who start a podcast. I'll let you guess what category I fall into. Anchor.fm makes it incredibly easy with tools and guides and a direct connection to every distribution channel, which means your podcast can instantly be available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever your audience listens. Finding sponsors for your content can be a pain, but with Anchor's built-in monetization, connecting with a sponsor that fits your podcast has never been easier. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, it, uh, it's been a pretty interesting past year. Um, I feel like for us, like we kind of like living out in the suburbs, it has been kind of interesting to see like kind of a lot of the like chaos and everything unfold downtown, but also like still being like relatively removed from it. Yeah. Um, but how how was it for you like being like down with like where everything was going on? Well, it's it's kind of surprising because in a lot of ways, uh, things didn't really stop. So I live next to a club. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I could hear the music from my room. And, I, you know, I knew that while I'm locked in my house and kind of not going out and not doing anything, there's plenty of people that are living in different uh, reality than me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of weird. It was kind of um, like we were talking about before the dichotomy of kind of populace in, in, uh, in our world kind of was exacerbated through this past year. So, yeah, I mean, that's like, man, that's like a whole thing. I remember at the beginning of the year, like I very much was like trying to avoid being into politics of any kind whatsoever. And I feel like out of this past year, like I had to dive headfirst into it out of like, necessity more than anything just because like you know and part of it's just my like personality but I don't like if I don't know some if I don't know about a subject or anything like for example like we both used to work in coffee whenever I got started in it I literally had to spend you know probably three or four months learning every single aspect of it so that I could hold a conversation and applying that to politics has been absolutely exhausting because I could go down the radical route and just follow like one side left or right. Yeah. But then like, I'm going to have a very polarized one-sided look at like all of these, you know, situations. Uh, And so trying to create a more like down the middle nuanced look, it's a lot of work, but I think in the end it'll be worth it. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of a shift that our society needed, you know, for, for so long. Um, politics has been kind of this thing, you know, politics, finance, a few of these other subjects have been so like kind of kept confusing or gate kept so that only certain people kind of understand what's going on. And now, uh, we're all kind of like, okay, we got to start to figure some of this stuff out. And this takes each of us put it in like taking it upon ourselves. But yeah, I agree with you. Like I've seen my parents or like other people's parents start to become radicalized in a certain way. And, um, I think that's maybe the initial response of getting involved in politics is like, 
simple views of things and then we can move to more complicated. Yeah. Do you have any things that you try to do to like keep from being too radicalized? Like I know earlier you were talking about like, you know, the internet is yeah. the prime tool to like <clears throat> radicalize someone in one direction or another. Um, have you found any like best practices? To yeah, like that's a good question. Uh, I approach everything with suspicion, yeah. which I think is probably a good thing in this day and age, but there's so much misinformation out there. And what I'm starting to realize is like, um, which maybe people have realized this a long time ago, but the internet is kind of a war zone of, uh, of ideas. And, um, so I think like the first step is, you know, there are many tiers of people. There's like people who read the headlines and react to them. Uh, there are people who read the article after reading the headline and kind of have a reaction to that article. Uh, then there are people who look at the author of the article and see like, what type of bias does this author have? What is the lens that they view this argument from? And then like maybe the furthest layer from that is uh, like, say it's a political article. You read um, the, like the government uh, legislative bill that's being referenced in the article. So I think there's so many deep layers that you can go and the deeper you go, the more your opinion becomes actually your own and not um, someone trying to pull you in a certain direction. So like, um, are you familiar with the term, the Overton window? Oh, I feel like I've heard about it, but. Yeah, it's, it. it's, um, it's this space in, in politics where they are able to make um, like legislative and policy change. Okay. And so if you kind of look at maybe it looks kind of like a box plot or histogram. Um, where, you know, the furthest things on the right are things that are very extreme, things that cannot be put into policy in politics. And furthest things on the left are also very extreme. So there's this window that's constantly shifting a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left. And within that box are things that they can change. And those that box is pretty much defined by um, the agreed upon view of the masses. So... Oh. Interesting. Yeah. So I think like when you're looking at like this war of ideas constantly pulling back and forth, I think um, for a lot of people, the goal is I want to influence you to believe the same things I do. Therefore, if that idea kind of takes root, we can start to make more policy change. So that's, that, and I, you know, like that can be used for good or it can be used for bad. And I think that kind of depends on what your opinion is. So that's super fascinating. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, I have started like really diving into kind of trying to understand like, you know, political biases and yeah. that sort of a thing. And I think that's something that we just like generally, you know, are not fully aware of in our life. And it's like I am starting to pick up on like different like keywords and phrases that people will say in everyday conversation and starting to like understand where those political viewpoints are coming from uh, because you know, I think we all love to say like, oh, my, my news sources, they're biased. They, they say it straight. But then like, once you actually like dive into a story and, you know, I think the best way to do it is to look at like the farthest radical news sources on both sides, yeah. because once you understand like, this is the far right view of a, an issue and this is the far left view of an issue you'll start to see like, okay, what's the common ground that goes right down the middle? Yeah. And that's how you're going to find your like unbiased political, yeah. you know, 
views. Yeah. It's like, how do we, how do we develop, you know, uh, structurally transparency? Yeah. Or like, how can we structurally regain trust? Because it seems like over the past, um, you maybe 10 years, that decay of trust is starting to have really profound effects on all of us, you know? Oh, I like, honestly, I think for me, the thing that really hits home with this, and I think we probably have agreed on this in the past is like, uh, starting to look at like our education system. Yeah. Um, because I think like, I remember as a kid regularly, I would have teachers, you know, try and tell me to do something or whatever. And like, I know they probably hated me for this, but I would always ask the question, why? Because like, as someone, someone who grew up in a household where like the reasoning of I'm your parent, do as you're told was used on the regular. I constantly was questioning why I was doing things. And when a teacher could not articulate why, or they would come up with some bullshit response, like, Oh, I'm your teacher. Like, let's do this. Uh, you know, or sorry, that sounds bad, but like, you know, I'm your teacher. Like, You need to stop doing what you're doing or you need to, you know, find some way that you like this class or like, I think my, my best like personal example was uh, I had a science teacher and she was honestly the worst. Like she ultimately ended up getting fired, which I thought was like kind of some poetic justice. Uh, But during our uh, science, we would have these like, so I was like homeschooled. And so we would have these. Uh, on campus days where we would go in and do like science experiments and you know I think they call them science labs uh, and at the end of the labs you had to write like a little review and like one of the questions was what did you enjoy about this lab and like it's a very pointed question when you think about it uh, but every time just to like mess with the teacher I would literally put I did not enjoy this lab kind of as like my like, you know, limited capacity protest as a student. And I remember her pulling me aside one day and saying, Brandon, like you have to find, you can find something you liked about this. And I literally just looked her in the face and said, but what if I can't? She literally couldn't even handle that. Yeah. And like, you know, I think like ultimately, like I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, you know, Brandon's kind of a dick, like what's going on here. But like, I think like ultimately we need to be able to like justify our positions. And I think schools nowadays are getting to this point where it's like, you are not allowed to think for yourself. And I think ultimately going into society, you know, it's like turn to whatever your political affiliated news channel is and they're going to do all the critical thinking for you, which. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I think sometimes that's kind of like a, like a symptom like, I don't think that necessarily teachers are like, I don't want people to think for themselves. But, you know, yeah. I think about uh, teachers being uh, sometimes hating their jobs just as much as everyone else hates their job. Oh, that's also so very true. And so it's like, you know, they they clock in, they clock out. And this kid who wants to think for himself, they're like, kid, I don't got the energy for you today. I'm dealing <laughs> with so many other things right now. And you're like, you know, and you know, that's kind of a problem for like uh, the development of education, but for that person's experience, who's like that teacher who's struggling day to day, that's really hard for them to go take that extra effort for 
honestly think about the incentive structure there of, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. how little they get paid too. So that's so true. The energy output to the amount of income that you're generating from a job teaching is, is kind of crazy. Like, um, there's this quote, uh, Marcus Aurelius, he has a book called Meditations. Oh, nice. And uh, look that up. the beginning of the book is all just advice that he had received from different people in his life. And one of them that always stuck with me was his grandfather told him, um, beware of public education. Yeah. But on such things, spend liberally. So education is one of the most valuable things that you can invest in, invest in yourself. But Public education in itself is something that you should very be like beware of because it's a product. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I I mean I I totally agree with that. I've yeah. noticed like in my own life, like the you know, the biggest things that I've gotten the best return on are, you know, whether it's a course or whatnot. Um, because those are the things that yeah. are gonna ultimately like further my career. Yeah. Um yeah. Did I, I tell you I started school? Oh, nice. What yeah. are you going to school for? Uh, so I started a new program. It's a uh, data science track. Ooh, it's through, nice. uh, it's through this school. It's called Lambda school. Okay. And it's, you know, it's not a university. It's, um, it's an all online, uh, school, but the cool thing that they do is, um, which I think, you know, more, more schools should adopt this model. I think they are, there's a bit of nuance here, but, yeah. um, it's a, an income share agreement. Okay. So I, you know, I sign an income share agreement. I pay zero dollars up front. So I go to this school um, and then essentially they partner with me so that when I do get hired, when I do get a job and make a certain salary, I pay a percentage of my income back to them. So that's amazing. Yeah. I think, you know, that kind of idea of like creating a new incentive structure to say like, hey, I'm here to teach you, but also my income depends on you actually learning valuable information that you can apply to the world. Oh, 100%. You know? I think like if more if more places adopted that or if we like <clears throat> even just like our schooling in general, yeah. if that was like the end goal. Yeah. Because I mean, I look at it right now. It's like we've, you know, put such a high praise on like the bachelor's degree or yeah. whatever. But the reality is like at the end of the day, like if you don't have a skill that's useful, like I mean – you know, people like to shit on, you know, liberal arts degrees, yeah. but like, think about how many people have spent literally millions or billions of dollars getting, you know, their liberal arts degrees. Yeah. And then how much can you actually apply that to? Yeah. Um, but I think having an incentive structure where it's like, Hey, we're going to teach you something. And we believe this skill is so valuable. We're not going to charge you up front because we know that like down the road, once you actually get a job that's going to change your life, yeah. then you can pay us back. Yeah. Because right now you're trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, that's cool. So what kind of jobs will you be able to get once? Yeah. So I, I mean, they, they do teach a lot of different stuff and part of the, part of the um, program is career service oriented. Okay. So I feel like this is kind of an ad for Lambda School yeah. right now, but it's, um, you know, they help you with resume, LinkedIn, kind of like, prepare you for interviews and stuff, but it's, uh, you know, it, it would be a tech job. So this is specifically with data science, it, uh, data science applies to like growth marketing. Okay. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of insane where we are now, like, um, everything that you use on your phone, every way that you use can be quantified and that data can be, um, used to create models based on like, um, specific demographics. So yeah, growth marketing, That's amazing. um, 
I specifically want to use it in uh, like a financial aspect. Okay. But awesome. um, yeah, it's, you know, it's Python based. Um, but I think long-term could be, could be pretty cool. But like, you know, with this, with this um, income share agreement and with paying for school and like I went to undergrad and paid too much for a degree that I didn't use. But, you know, I'm thinking maybe we're at a point in history where we need to redefine um, the term value and how that relates to the money in our pocket. You know, like you spend $20,000 on a degree and um, how much is that $20,000 really worth? Both spending and like, you know, like I think the arts degrees are undervalued in their careers, but maybe overvalued in how much they have to charge, you have to pay for it. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's really time for a complete overhaul of a lot of the the pyramid structures we have right now. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree on that. I think like, you know, I think that, and that's like, I feel like that could even touch into like the current, uh, war on like trying to figure out like what a new minimum wage should look like yeah and i think like ultimately like and i know this is gonna sound coming from like a very privileged situation you know i own a house and live in the suburbs you know married that whole situation but like i think like for me like growing up i was never really raised in a household where like asking for help was like a normal thing And so I think like for me, I've always looked at like whatever, like if I want more money, I have to somehow figure out how to provide more value to have that income be higher. And it's never, never crossed my mind that when someone says, hey, here's a job you're going to do. And after six months for no real reason, we're just going to like give you more money for that same job. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's like the, the problem with like, you know coffee shops that we've worked in where it's like you have one barista that will you know over time collect raises and get to a point where all of a sudden they're not going to be scheduled for shifts anymore because once they hire in new people they do the same job they pay them two to three dollars an hour less and like you know well the crazy thing too is like as i'm learning about the way the fed operates and how they print money and what's been going on for the past 10 years you know they have a target inflation rate of two percent yeah and sometimes they are under that and sometimes they're over that um but you know i talked to one of my previous employers and i had asked for raises um several times in the past and was denied them yeah um and one thing i told him he he said that now that after i left managers started getting raises which is kind of funny but uh one thing i was telling him is like we should at least have a goal each of us to keep pace with inflation you know yeah if you're, oh, you got to make more than 2% raise each yeah. year. Otherwise, like your, your salary might stay the same, but the value you're receiving is decreasing. That's very interesting. So I didn't, I was not fully aware of like the 2% yeah. average inflation. Can yeah. you like break that down? Like, what does that look like in terms of like, cause I mean, yeah. I like, so I know it's, a little bit. It's like, a little bit of debasement essentially okay. of, of the value in your pocket. And so like a little bit of inflation is kind of helpful to like, um, kind of, you know, I think about money like water, it's kind of flowing mm. around. So we keep adding water to the pool. Yeah. It makes it a little bit, uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a lubricant a little bit for, yeah. for trade, for exchange. And, 
Um, but you know, over time, like 2% inflation, a person who lives 70 years will experience 300% inflation in their lifetime. Jeez, so like, that's wild. The, the crazy thing for me is like in the, in 1970, it, it, average home was $20,000. Oh, oh, you wow. know, that's the average price of a home. And the seventies were notorious for experiencing high, high levels of, expo- of inflation. So, you know, yeah, it can outpace 2% easily. Um, and, and, uh, for the record, we're in 2021 where the average house price is somewhere over 150,000. Yeah. Maybe, so, yeah, maybe probably more, more. Yeah. you know, um, and that's even in rural Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, money. Money's is such an interesting subject, and I've talked about this recently too. That um, for a long time, it was kind of if you care about money, then you probably are greedy. And yeah. the problem with that is greedy people do care about money. So if people who don't, you know, have that sense of greed that don't help guide our monetary policy, that don't help um, or try to understand the function of money, then the people who are greedy will control all of it. Oh, yeah. And so like- Very quickly too. Yeah, so it's like these things that are, you know, for me, I, I kind of thought of it like, okay, well, the only people who work in finance or care about money are people who are just, just want to like gather money. They're kind of greedy, but now I'm realizing like money is actually a function of freedom. Uh, it's, you know, it's a function of time and like, it's one of those things that can free you and enslave you at the same time. Like debt has a certain function in society that can be positive or negative, but, um, yeah, it seems like the more, um, value that you have, the more time that you can spend freely. Yeah, I I think about that pretty regularly because yeah. like that's something I personally try and look at. You know, I just went full time with like doing freelance like a couple of years ago. And it's something I think about on the regular. Like I've had several job offers and every single one of them is like, hey, like come work for our company and work, you know, four or five days a week and, you know, eight hours a day. Like these like really like objectively really great job offers yeah but when i look at them on their face like the reason i went to go do my own thing with freelance is because i came from working jobs where i was working 40 plus hours a week and it's like for me like the benefit to doing my own thing is i can you know land one to two jobs a month and basically match whatever income i was getting in previous jobs that's awesome And it's like, you know, and I know that's like a very rare thing and I'm very thankful for that opportunity. But I think that like kind of having this understanding that it's like if you start to provide more value, like you don't have to chase that income until you're at that like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I totally lost my train of thought on that. But I think like. there's There's a phrase in hospitality. It's you either are making a quick nickel or a slow dime. Yes. You know. And it's like, yeah, oh, no, I know where I was going with that. So it like, I think like for me, and this is something I've been like talking, I have a friend that like works in sales for a company and we both just like came to this realization the other day, like, you know, trying to figure out what that like dollar amount is specifically for us to where we can like feel comfortable with our life. And I think like, 
you know, for me, like kind of watching like where my life is trending right now, it's like, yeah, it would be really cool if I could, you know, make a million dollars a year. But like realistically, like, do I want to be working that hard to make a million dollars a year? And is that necessary? Like I look at my lifestyle and it's like, yeah, there's like maybe like a handful of things that I want to buy, but like saving up and being able to like make those purchases one at a time over the next five years, I still could be super happy. Yeah. I don't have to work, you know, 80 hours a week. And at the end of the day, like, that gives me more time to like value my like freedom and like, you know, going to do what I, things I love to do, go for a yeah. walk, go for a bike. Ride, yeah, go absolutely, camping, like. man. You got a great thing out here. This is, you know, you got the garden out here. You got. Dude, that's yeah. like, that's one of our, man, that gets into like a whole yeah. nother side of things. But yeah. like, you know, we're really hoping personally to be able to like eventually and granted like this is our second year gardening here. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that we're hoping to do is eventually like, be able to live sustainably off of our own fresh produce. That would produce. be amazing, yeah. And then, like, for the most part, like, we're only really having to, like, outsource um, to farms for things like, you know, beef and chicken and yeah. other things that we just, like, can't grow here in the city. Yeah. Um, which would be really cool. Um, or What's your favorite thing to grow out here? Oh, man, that's a really good question. My wife is in charge of all of uh, yeah. the herbs and things out here. Like, a lot of it is, like, herbs. So, like, right here we have, like uh thyme and like right back there we have like basil uh calendula oh wow um rosemary like a handful of other things um i think like this year we also started growing like potatoes and sweet potatoes and things like that which are really exciting um so that's awesome yeah yeah i always think about um there's this movie called the big short oh nice um and one of the characters in the big short uh at the end of the movie, they're like, oh, he's he's now investing in seeds, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And seeing like that and seeing like, you know, Bill Gates start to buy up farmland. And <laughs> um, I'm like, well, you know, maybe I should start to start to plant a garden my own. Oh, man. It like it totally cracks me up because like I remember like at the beginning of last year, like everyone was so concerned about Bill Gates. And then yeah. like there was this like whole anti like, you know trying to like fight to protect his like reputation yeah and now all of a sudden it's like come full circle and now everyone's just like wait a second what's going on (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty wild you know like bringing it back to like some of the political stuff and yeah i i recently learned about this guy his name's edward bernays i'm not sure if you're familiar i've heard of him i'm not i can't remember exactly what he does though so he was the nephew of sigmund freud okay and he's the father of propaganda so yes. yeah, his initial like um the thing he he initially did was try to convince or he did convince Americans in World War One that it was a good thing and that um we were going to Europe to that Americans were going to Europe to bring democracy to Europe. And so his goal was um uh what he calls engineering consent. Yes. So his goal was to get people to accept and to support the war. And so after that, he um, he was like, okay, well, I did this in wartime. What would it look like for me to start to develop these tactics in peacetime? So he started working with brands. He started um, developing marketing. And uh, his one of his first clients was American Tobacco. I've told this story a few times, but uh, one of the things he did is he 
hired some suffragettes, um, some freedom fighters to all light up cigarettes at the same time. And he also hired a reporter to make sure he was there while they were lighting the cigarettes. And he made sure that the reporter used the phrase torches of freedom. Yes. <laughs> and that phrase right there, he was, his goal was uh, to link uh, an emotional response with a product. And it was the first time that was done. So he was like, cool, if you are a woman and you smoke cigarettes, that means you are a free woman. That means you are an intelligent woman. That means you are a strong woman. And you stand for everything that these freedom fighters also stand for. And it, you know, it's, it's just kind of a crazy thing that his goal was to tap in to our unconscious minds that we don't necessarily really um, have a grasp on ourselves, you know? And I mean, the funny anecdotal story after that was that his wife ended up smoking cigarettes and he would always try and get her to quit, even though that was the thing that he <laughs> was promoting uh, for so long. That came full circle. Yeah. yeah. I. It's funny you bring that story up. I had just recently heard that on a podcast. Yeah. And you know what the wild thing is? Uh, a, and I am blanking specifically on his name, but a descendant of Edward Bernays is actually, was actually one of the co-founders of Netflix. Oh, I believe and it. Yeah. So it like, it's really interesting because if you yeah. look at them as a company, like, you know, they've been yeah. operating at a negative budget forever yeah. because like Programming's now valuable. Oh, a hundred percent. Like when you look at, you know, what they're doing and how many billions of dollars they're literally spending to create original content that invokes, you know, emotional responses, gets yeah. people connected, drawn in. Yeah. And like now it's like they can get to whatever point they want. And if they want to, you know, push a political agenda, yeah. not saying either way here, but they can literally like put that front and center yeah, like, okay. on the screens of millions of people. I saw something recently and like, yeah. I'm not opposed to this message that they're, they're, uh, trying to push here. At least I think this is a message, but, yeah. um, there's a show on Netflix called sweet tooth. I'm not sure if you've seen, uh, like think ads for it or whatever, yeah. but I, I, I haven't watched it. So I'm kind of speaking at a place here, but, uh, the premise of the show is that in the future, there are kids that are half animal, half human. And, Oof. uh, you know, they're like, people are trying to kill these animal humans. Yeah. And uh, it's it's funny because the bad guys are all kind of like rural, kind of uneducated people. And the good guys are like the people who are supporting like people's differences and these human animals. And I'm like, it seems like the message here is like, uh, try, like really trying to get people to care about animal rights and getting people to try and appreciate um, you know, differences in, in humanity and kind of, you know, people different than yourself. And I, you know, I think those are good things. But I'm like, this seems like a blatant, we're trying to, we're trying to like push messaging, you know? I feel like that story you just described, I've seen in like a Vox article or something like that. Oh, really? Like, yeah. I just, I don't know that like, even though I know that's like supposed to be like a fictional story, like the premises like sound so real yeah. when you look at like what's going on in the world right now. Yeah. And it's like, and it's so hard because it, it, on the one side, it's like, you know, I actually, I, so one of the things I've been recently diving into, I call it the unsexy side of environmentalism mm. um, because, you know, there's the Greta Thunbergs of the world and, you know, all these people, you know, like are 
current presidential administration is trying to do everything, you know, go green. Yeah. And on its face, that all sounds amazing. Yeah. Like I want to live in a world that, you know, and I want to pass down a world to the next generations that is like healthy and thriving and doing everything we need. And yes, we probably should dial back our plastic Uh, consumption. Start with getting rid of Coca-Cola. That's one of the things. Let's, Let's go there, you know? Yeah. I mean, like you, we have to look at, you know, the billion and trillion dollar companies that are quite literally, you know, the biggest polluters on the planet, bar none, like, you know, I hate to break it to you. You can dial back, you know, using straws, but like, let's be honest, at most you're saving 365 straws from going in the ocean. Whereas they're putting, you know, 365 tons of, The The craziest thing about the straw thing, like I, you know, I agree. I don't want to see a turtle with a straw in his nose. Yeah. I did not like watching that video. That was not comfortable for me. I was like, this sucks. Very uncomfortable. But like the thing I was looking at it, you, you look at like the um, total volume of plastic used and Starbucks increased the amount of plastic they use after they got rid of straws. Oh, 100%. Those lids use way more plastic. So I'm like, who's really banking off of this? So, who who profited off of them getting rid of straws? Yeah. So And here's another thing. And this is like, I feel like this is something we could totally get into, but it's like, you know, there is a huge problem right now with microplastics. Yeah. And a lot of that In comes water from- too. Yeah. Exactly. That comes from the like synthetic clothing that we're all wearing. Yeah. And it's like in an effort to, you know, quote, save the animals, like- I care about animals just as much as the next person. But like, let's think about this like logically for like half a second. Like if creating a polymer plastic that ultimately ends up in our oceans and in our water supplies and like as, you know, something that we accidentally ingest on a daily basis and, you know, not even getting into the like health negative side effects of that. But like if we could look at everything from like a little bit more of a holistic side of things, like, Wool is an incredible, yeah. reusable, natural, biodegradable, yeah, like material, and it's in abundance. It lasts. I don't want to say forever, but like I have a couple pairs of Allbird shoes, and like yeah. they're phenomenal. Uh, and it's like I think there's so many there's so many people that are fighting for yeah. things that like ultimately are hindering our progression forward yeah and it's like an- another thing that sorry i'll let you know just a second. no I, there's, like, it's, there's a lot of thoughts here yeah yeah man. uh another thing that i like recently have been like talking with a lot of people about i just learned about like some of the work that like porsche is doing right now yeah. with like you know making typical fossil fuels more energy efficient yeah and it's like on its face like i know people are going to fight back against that and they like want everything to be electric but here's something that like i want everything to be electric as well but i also understand that like yeah most of our electricity comes from coal i mean a lot of it comes from coal right now yeah yeah. but also like you know there is the solar there is the wind there's all these other ways but like how we store it yeah like you know i think like a lot of the environmentalist stuff that goes on in America right now, like I love our country. It's amazing. We do a lot of things. Great. There's a lot of great people here moving the world forward. Yeah. But I think one way that we're definitely holding the world back is things that we think look amazing on face value 
that ultimately are going to be absolutely obliterating other countries. Yeah. You know, we're not mining, you know, we're stopping the Keystone pipeline here, but we're still mining all these rare metal earths in Africa and Asian countries yeah. and places around the world. And it's like, we don't have control over that. And I accept that. Yeah. But if I'll, you want everything electrical here, I'll have to send you this paper that I read recently, but yeah, it, it basically, it. it basically said like in one section of this paper, it was saying that like, uh, the carbon taxes and the like, um, reducing pollution in the United States, like those policy changes. Yeah. Uh, the major effect that it had wasn't that it reduced pollution in the world. It just moved it out of the United States. I am not and, shocked by that. And like, even there, there were like leaders that said, oh, this just means it, you have to move it to a poorer country where that, you can, where, where it doesn't matter essentially was what they were saying. Yeah. Well, I mean like, shoot, I mean, what was it? Like, I'm forgetting the year. I think it was like probably 2015, 17, 18, somewhere in there. Like yeah. when China stopped accepting all of our recycling yeah. and we literally yes. had like our recycling system literally shut down in America. Yeah, recycling is a scam. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. More or less. Like, yeah, it just, there's so many, so many things like that, that just like blow my mind. I mean, yeah. like even yesterday, like we, so we, you know, eat a fairly strict diet. And one of the things we were looking for, we found this like pretty amazing, like grain free cereal. Yeah. And we like found it was at one of our local grocery stores. So we took a little trip out to go try and find it. Uh, cutting to the end of the story yeah. they didn't have it but while i was walking down the aisles i literally like it like it clicks in my head but it's like you know at the end of world war ii the government started subsidizing different crops and foods and all these things yeah. to like help rebuild our country which yeah. on its face value is like a really good looking thing but ultimately now we have you know our big food industry yeah. we've just and, like gone unchecked for so long oh 100 you know but the crazy thing is, like, in, in the process of looking up, like, U.S. subsidized crops, I found it so shocking to find that one of the U.S. subsidized crops was tobacco. Wow. Which, like, is kind of mind-blowing on yeah. its face. You know, then there's the obvious, like, corn, soy, Edward wheat. Bernays, what'd you do, man? I know, right? Like, it just, it's one of those things. And it's, like, as someone who's in, like, the marketing side of the yeah. world and, like, part of the reason why, I, like have you know this podcast to like start talking to people is like i want to like bring voices out into the world that are like at least like thinking about things holistically because you know ultimately you know if we only hear one side of the conversation at all times yeah like you know that's just not good for anyone yeah and you know i mean one of my one of my dreams is to like eventually hit the road with our van and like you know, go talk to people in a lot of these like rural countrysides and like bring them into the conversation because like, you know, my wife's family grew up in, you know, Northeast Ohio, Amish country. And it's like, I hear about a lot of these like policies and different changes and things. And it's like in the back of my head, I constantly think about like them, they're farmers. They're like, how does this affect people like them? And I don't think a lot of people are thinking, you know, all the way to that logical conclusion. Yeah. And it's, it's just so sad because like, um, our money's broken, you know, like you you hear the reduce, reuse, recycle kind of thing, you know, recycling we have learned is not really the best way. Reusing is a good way. Reducing is the best way. But the problem with reducing 
is back to the Edward Bernays guy. Um, in the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties were a result of our society moving from a needs-based society to a consumer-based society. And yes. that effect increased uh, the velocity of money and increased the amount of money that, you know, effectively that uh, our country had. So it's like our economy is based on people consuming. So reducing is not an option unless we change money. Oh, I Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> pretty 100%. much, you know, yeah. like our money's broken. And so therefore our incentive structures are broken and therefore people might have the best intentions to change the world, to go green, to do like to fight for climate change, but it won't have any effect until we change some of these incentive structures, because at the end of the day, people are going to do what gets them paid that helps their family put food on the table. Oh, 100%. You know, it's just like, but it's so unfortunate because like, you know, I see some of these politicians too. They have the best of intentions. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know what their intentions are. It seems like they have good intentions, but I don't think they uh, are actually going to have much change because of the way money works in this world. Yeah. It's like you, you really hope that like politicians will do the best, but also like knowing that yeah. if someone's been a politician their entire life, like yeah. they don't like... And, and not even it's not even what they want or what they can do. It's like what society allows, like yeah. like for the moving of pollution to other countries. It's like yeah. those things are inevitable because um, thankfully we don't have an authoritarian rule. Yeah. And people oh, don't have control over the entire world, you know? Yeah. Man, that's like, man, that's something that I think about like on the regular because I know a lot of people that are like very interested in like you know moving more towards like a communist socialist yeah you know type of regime and it's like the more i'm learning about like the american government and you know starting to like vaguely dive into like other countries and how things yeah. are run over there it's like there's so many things that i know i've taken for granted yeah and i think that there are so many things that like on their face people look at you know like especially you know over the the past summer, all the like protests and riots and whatnot yeah. that went on, it's like we look at that and we think, oh, you know, they're the the police are oppressing people, and yes, there were a lot of people doing a lot of really horrible things. Yeah, but if you don't understand that that same thing going on over in like Hong Kong, China, overseas, yeah, right now, that that the response that our police had they're doing that 10 times yeah and you're not even hearing about it on local news channels because they don't want that to get out yeah and it's like probably not as profitable exactly you yeah know? you know doesn't doesn't look good for their brand <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty um but yeah i'm like trying to like dance around like especially like you know uh our response to like COVID over the past year as well, because like that is like a whole nother thing, you know, coming back to yeah. Edward Bernays, like we, I feel like in America, we've specifically become so numb to the idea of like propaganda is another yeah. country problem and yeah. it can't happen here. Yeah. Well, you know, the crazy thing is Bernays found out, um, there's this guy, Josef Goebbels, mm. who was the father of propaganda in Nazi Germany. Yeah. And Goebbels referenced Bernays work. <laughs> you know <laughs> that's most of the time yeah, yeah his his influence was from bernays and you know bernays found out about this and he's like oh god he's like 
it was, you know, it was heartbreaking to see my work used in that way. But, you know, I realized I I let Pandora's, I opened Pandora's box and this basically mind engineering can be used uh, for evil or it can be used for good or any, you know, any part of the spectrum in between. Um, But that was immediately when he changed the term, he was like, okay, I don't want to call it propaganda anymore. I got to move away from that term because it sounds bad. So it's now called uh, public relations. He changed the name to public relations. Oh my so goodness. What pu- what PR is today yeah. is what, you know, propaganda started out as. That's, you know, that's insane. And that also like that now that I like think about that in context of like yeah. everything going on in, yeah. you know, the world. And it's like, when you think about it, like if there's ever like a celebrity scandal or whatever, yeah. it's like, oh, you need a, you need a PR agent. Yeah. And it's like, Quite you got to change the narrative. Yes. You know, like the fact that change the narrative is the like main, I would say one of the main phrases I've heard over the past yeah. year. It like, it's so shocking to me. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I don't talk about it as much on the internet just because like I have a lot of friends that I just a hundred percent disagree with and I yeah. respect them. And I like, don't want to like end friendships over things because yeah. I think that like, you know, the fact that so many people are just like, oh, we don't, we don't believe the same things politically. You're done. Yeah. It's like, like I, one of my best friends, he like basically always reminds me whenever we have these like deep political discussions, he's like, just a reminder, politics always have to come second. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, good reminder. Um, so that's something that I definitely do. But I think like, you know, uh, I forget exactly where I was going with that. Propaganda. Uh, yeah, sharing your ideas online. And yeah. Um, not wanting to end friendships over like a lack of nuance pretty much. Yes. You know? I think, yeah, that's like, that's like a good place to go with it. It's like, you know, having that like lack of nuance, like, you know, that's where a lot of these problems come in. Um, so, man, yeah. I really forget where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah. But. I, I do think, you know, everyone's opinionated. Yeah. Um, oh, 100%. But I, you know, I think it is important to like seek out your own information and seek out and try and develop your own opinion and also not have it be so static. You know, like, yeah. it's, it's like, um, this is my truth and this will always be my truth. It's like, this is my truth and it's a living thing that I need to kind of uh, cultivate over time. Yeah. And like kind of polish and figure out and maybe new information changes it completely. Or, um, you know, maybe you can be open to like, I think also one of the things I learned in this past year was, um, how much strength there is in adaptability. 100%. You know, like if you be, if you were able to become adaptable, you're able to change, you're able to kind of like, okay, there is some stuff happening in the world right now and I need to be ready for what is thrown at me. I think that, you know, that, um, I mean, we can even compare it to the human body. Yeah. Like uh, people who lift weights all the time aren't flexible and they get an injury and then their career or sports career is over. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, you're seeing athletes do more like um, functional body movement. Mobility. See them them do more mobility training, more stretching, more more Mm -hmm. yoga, more um, more things that keep them adaptable and resilient to like the many um, stresses and factors that get put on them. So like that metaphor for how um, maybe we have to be mentally or how we have to be spiritually even, um, I think is 
uh, it's kind of a cool way to be a kind of, kind of a cool way that like maybe our society could start to shift and grow. Yeah. And I think you saying adaptable kind of like reminded me like where I was going with that. I think like that's a huge thing that most people need to like fully understand is being able to like mentally adapt as things come along. And, you know, part of what I was saying earlier, like I have definitely dove down a lot of rabbit holes in things that people would say are like in the conspiratorial nature. Um, But I think the reality for me is like trying to like think for yourself, do your own research. And it's like, I hate that, like change the narrative, do your own research. All these like phrases that objectively shouldn't be offensive have been turned into these like war cries. Yeah, And it's like, for me, like as someone, and I know we're like very similar in this where it's like, I'm not going to take something at face value. And so when someone tells me something, my like immediate reaction is to run the other way and like, okay, I need to like look at the exact opposite of this because I don't know if I believe that person. And I think like for me, the like really cool thing without going into too many details is like just watching how like a lot of things that I was like kind of diving into and understanding over the past year have kind of come full circle and come to light. And it's like, it's been really cool, but it's also like really upsetting because I know that I have a lot of friends that were, you know, rightfully so very, uh, scared and, you know, upset over the past year. Um, One of the things I found interesting, like when you said scared, that kind of reminded me of it, but, um, the part of our brains that deal with rational thought shrink when we experience, um, fear or anger. Yes. You know, and I think that is so interesting because it's like one of the easiest way to control people and not getting them to think rationally is to make them afraid. Oh, 100%. I am glad you said that because I was just going to follow up and I don't know if it was an Edward Bernays, but I know that like they're definitely some of those like fathers of psychological manipulation understood that, you know, if you want to get a society to do what you want them to do, you need to constantly keep them in fear. And it like, it's so upsetting because it's like, there's so many problems that we've had to deal with over the past. And it's like, now we're just, you know, coming full circle on a lot of them. Um, because at this point, like there was, there was someone that was scared and now like with the internet, that one little seed of an idea can just explode into a wildfire. And all of a sudden, you know, you have a population of 330 million people that are all scared out of their minds and don't know what direction out to go yeah um yeah it's it's kind of a wild time we're living in yeah yeah it really is i have we talked we've talked about the fourth turning before i believe yeah so i actually i'm probably about a hundred ish pages in it nice um yeah that book is really deep and intense yeah it really is but you know i think about like different generations may be experiencing not the same exact things. You know, they say history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Yeah. Um, But, you know, similar things to us. And I think that like, you know, the part, the part of it that gives me hope is the idea that like we're kind of in a rough time and we probably will be for the next 10 years or so. Oh yeah. Um, But I do see like through history, there is ebbs and flows of like um, hard times and then recovery and great times. And then, back to hard times and it's just kind of like this sign curve of good and bad yeah and um you know it makes me hopeful that like 
uh, maybe these hard times will require all of us to become stronger people yeah and push us to like usher in um some new good times oh 100 um i'm not exactly sure what it'll take but hopefully 10 years from now we'll probably return maybe to the same table and that would uh, be amazing yeah have this conversation again that would be wild i am gonna have to make sure to keep this table in storage I if i move yeah yeah that's awesome well it doesn't yeah. have to be this table but no it yeah. has to be yeah, this yeah, table yeah, these yeah. mugs yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that would be that would be amazing. I like, yeah, I totally agree with that. I really hope that like you know these hard times that we're going through right now will like really build the like resilient people that'll build the great times. Yeah. And I think you know, I I think about this a lot. Like the the people that I know and look up to in my life, like they were not people that had a really amazing childhood. Yeah, like I think you know we see so much on social media right now, and it all revolves around you know these like trust fund babies that are flying yeah. around the world with their you know throwing their billions of dollars and we're trying to keep up with the joneses except for the joneses are the rockefellers and yeah. you know the zuckerbergs and the yeah. you know billion and trillionaires of the world uh but you know ultimately i think coming back to like what we talked about earlier you know the best way that we can like really kind of like dive into getting everything you know really I don't want to say like cleaned up, but, you know, kind of getting back to a sense of normalcy is, you know, understanding that we don't need to just keep consuming, 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 because yeah. that's just going to drive everything up and up and up. And, you know, ultimately, if we can clarify our specific needs, you know, reduce our impact on whatever it is we're looking for, um, you know, I think everything will be great. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, like, yeah, I think I think that's like a, a good yeah. direction we can go. Yeah, I agree. Let's fix the money. Fix the money. Fix the incentives. Fix, fix the incentives. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been I've also been reading a, a bit of uh, John Nash, oh, who's nice. the father of game theory. Okay. Which I you know super interesting stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's it's really like if you can kind of define an incentive structure, you can pretty much say how things are going to go. So, um, with with like pretty good accuracy so uh yeah i think that uh there's a lot to fix but definitely incentives are one of them so that's awesome yeah yeah man dude i love talking i loved hanging out this was yeah. this was amazing that was beautiful so day. much fun yeah i know what a what a great way to start the morning good absolutely. coffee good conversation absolutely i feel like i've already had a whole day dude you know? i know right yeah it's so good Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into the show today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I enjoyed getting to sit down and chat with Luke, uh, just a really amazing guy and a really great conversation. Uh, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, please feel free to share this on social media, subscribe, like, do all the amazing things, and I will catch you in the next one. I promise I am trying to get on a more regular schedule with this. Life, you know. Have a great day, guys.